This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. I just wanted to say thank you to so many of you for hopping on and leaving us an iTunes review. And if that wasn't you, it could be today. Go give us an amazing five-star review on iTunes. Really helps us out. So thank you. Also, today's episode with a longtime friend of mine and actor, writer, uh, Fauzia Mirza. So please enjoy this episode. Okay. folks uh, introduce themselves on the podcast. Will you introduce oh, yourself? Uh, sure. Um, hi, my name is Fazia Mirza. I am um, a writer, creator. Um, I think of myself as an activist, sometimes an artivist. Uh, I used to be a lawyer, but I haven't done that in a while. And that's, that's, those are mostly the things. <laughs> How, when, when were you a lawyer? Um, I think I might not recently. You. I haven't done it in very, Many years, uh, 2003 to 2006. Are you still licensed to I practice? I am still licensed to practice. I don't think anyone should hire me. Just curious. Yeah, and only in the state of Illinois, not right. in the state of California. Absolutely, yeah. different in every state. Yeah. Um, we know each other from Chicago first. Yeah. Um, like probably a decade ago almost would have yeah. been like when we were first bumping into each other at different oh my gosh queer yes. events yes yeah isn't that's true though that's very true 10 years yeah um wow. but uh you live in LA now I did I moved um not even a year it's been June 4th <laughs> because I moved for a job and so I remember the date exactly because I got confirmation two days before like yes the contract is signed so move time wow yeah so yeah it's been less than a year you moved within two days. Is that what you're saying to me? I, I am. I didn't move with like a couch or a bed. Sure. So that makes it a lot easier. I moved on a plane and I yeah. didn't have to drive. So that made it easier. But I moved that quickly. It was a major transitionary moment in my life. And yes. what were you doing in Chicago um, right before this? So you were a lawyer I was for a, a little lawyer. bit of time. I left lawyering to... Uh, while I was lawyering, I started taking IO classes, so improv classes, and I wanted to be an actor. That was always a dream, but my family was really conservative, Muslim. And so I did the thing and went to law school. But um, when I became a lawyer, I actually um, started taking all these classes at night and started taking theater classes and reading, you know, what it's, how do you become an actor? So I started learning about acting. I had my first role, which was as Cobweb in Midsummer Night's Dream. It was not a great production, but I had three lines and my brothers came to see the play and they were proud, question mark. Um, but they were very excited because I was doing this thing that I talked about wanting to do for a long time. Can I ask you a question about the lawyering part of yes. things? When that was what was going on in your life, um, did you look like this? No. Um, there's actually on my Instagram when, you know, when everyone was doing the photos of the old headshots, sure. that thing was happening. Um, I posted, I think, six different photos and none of them look like this. Um, I, Maybe we should talk about, like, yeah. also just because this is a podcast. Like, I think you look kind of... Uh, you like, like Ralph Macchio. <laughs> Number one, that's true. <laughs> Number two, I think you present pretty queer, like, in a, in a like, glasses, haircut, yeah. uh, jewelry sort of a way. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, like, some cueing going on. So yeah. I was asking because I was curious about what that was like in the world of law if this is how you were presenting. But if it's not how you were presenting, how were you presenting then? I was presenting, well, I mean, I sort of went, college was like a major transitionary time. So I went from college, I was 
50 pounds heavier. I uh, wore very, I, I just sort of wore the things that would hide my body. Like I definitely came from a place of being a person who uh, was was funny to survive, was the best friend to all the guys because that was the way I was seen. Uh, I didn't sort of quote unquote come out uh, until much later because I didn't, I wasn't the kid who was 13 and said, oh, I know. I was the kid who was uh, 20, nine and said, maybe this is a thing I should explore. Yeah. I know that about you just because we recently had a conversation at um, Ideas Week in Chicago and you were hosting a or mod, what it, I don't know what that, what was think, that? What is that called? I think you it were was interviewing. In, yeah, you were like emceeing a, ser- a, a series, series of, of interviews. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And I was one of the people, which yes, was so was fun, fun to be able to sit with you because yeah. it was, we were uh, randomly paired up. Like, yeah. I just mean, it wasn't something that I knew ahead of time that it was going to be you. And it was cool. Oh, I love that. Because uh, when I, I think I got information about the event and it was like, and this is who will be sitting down with you. And I was like, <laughs> fun. That's genuinely fun. I already know this person. Um, but yeah, you said there that you came out at 29. Um, and that must have been not, that must have been around the time that I first Yes. Knew you. Like, I just mean, that must have been right around then. Well, I mean, we're just going to talk about all my traumas. I mean, basically, that was around the time. So 2006, my dad died. And I'd already kind of right around that time started, um, I would say, exploring. Dating is the wrong word because it was kind of a weird situation where and and I know it's not uncommon. I know people have that person that they experimented with that they didn't tell anybody about or that they were scared to tell anybody about, even, you know, kept that person a secret. So I definitely had that. And, um, you know, we started watching the L word secretly. You know, it was that kind of thing. And so everyone knew this woman to be my friend and someone who worked in theater with me um, was a stage manager, which, you know, I think of as sometimes a, a very, you know, gay position in the theater, <laughs> uh, which is saying a lot, you know. But, um, and it was, and in 2006, my dad died. And then, um, you know, in a very dramatic way, we all went to Pakistan where he died and buried him. And when I came back, I was in the state of mind of um, help the family, help the family, and then forget about the family, do whatever you need to do. And that is when I started going to gay bars. Um, And actually, that's when I feel like I met all of these funny queer women, uh, like, I feel like that's when like Beth Stelling was doing entertaining Julia. Yeah. Um, it, it is. Yeah. Right. Like right around then and, and just kind of bopping around boys town. Um, I'm blanking on her last name right now. I had my friend, Sarah, uh, we were, we, she became a friend of mine, also a comedian at the time, but we just sort of, that was my exposure. And, you know, it was, that kind of, I would stay out a lot. Um, and, uh, nobody really understood when they were like, Oh, you're Pakistani. What is that? Like, it was really a confusing time to even not be kind of white in that space. There weren't a lot of lesbian nights. Queer was still not embraced by the community. So really there were really only a couple events that people went to. So you could find the concentration, at least in Boys Town, of where gay women were hanging out. Yeah. I mean, this is so interesting. <laughs> this is so interesting because I kind of experienced this with you and and um, like in the same zone, in the same scene and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and I'm so glad to talk about that. So maybe we yeah. should talk. So like we're talking about Chicago and mm-hmm. we're talking about um, I actually moved, I moved back to Chicago in 2006. So that's, there's some overlap in terms of like, so interesting. that's when yeah. I was first entering um, that scene. And I am from Chicago. That's where I grew up. But like when I grew up there, um, my experience of the city was, because I grew up in the suburbs, my experience of the city was, you could take the train there from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. So it's like pretty close um, on a map and also like pretty accessible, but the destinations would be like museums, sporting events, mm-hmm. um, like a dinner at a certain restaurant mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Not mm-hmm. like, not so much neighborhoody exploration mm-hmm. and um, certainly like no awareness of anything queer or gay. Like no, the only reason I would ever been in Boys Town, which is the gay neighborhood in Chicago, 
um, is if I was going to like a Cubs game because Wrigley Field is directly next to Boys yes. Town. So like if my parents- Or an improv show, perhaps. I But I never, I like uh-huh. never would have gone to that as yep. a kid. Not in a million years. Yeah. Uh, was like, had no awareness of theater stuff. Then my yeah. little sister was in the theater, but um, that was like how I first became aware. No, definitely like, I didn't really see Chicago as like an arts city, like an art city, like a fine art city, like Mm -hmm. the Art Institute of Chicago, Monet, like he's from (laughs) Chicago, right? Um, No, I, uh, that's what I thought of. Not, not really comedy, not queerness. Um, So we were sort of discovering that like actually at the same time. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it was a, it was a fascinating time because I remember, God, I wish I could remember the bar that like, it wasn't Miley Cyrus, but it was someone like her then she owned the, she she and her boyfriend opened a bar that everyone went to. Now it's a late night Thai restaurant. Do you remember that what? spot? No, it was right on. Uh, someone will know this, and someone will be like Fazia. How could you forget? You were there every night. Mm. Um, it's uh, it was right on Halstead, um, bef- right before the gas station on the west side of the street, uh, right before you'd get to Hall- Broadway, or excuse me, right before you get to Addison on Halstead, and. Oh, who was that woman? They were both. Anyway, but I remember going into this bar and I I would have, it was when uh, people were still drinking um, uh, uh, Red Bull and vodkas. Oh my God. And so I would have a Red Bull and vodka or a Jaeger bomb shot and I would just do that because I didn't want to hold a drink and I was very nervous. So I had to have a drink right away because it was such a thing that was not possible. And so, you know, now, you know, I definitely, when I think back to all the things I know now about queerness and even presenting as someone who looks like tribe or family, that's not something I even understood back then. So to me, everyone could be straight. Everyone was straight. It was like almost going down a rabbit hole of here is the bar. That's I took the, you know, I took yeah. the, this mushroom and suddenly I'm in the gay bar. <laughs> um, or I took this colored pill and suddenly we're in this other world. It was really that kind of fascinating. The person that you were seeing that you said was a stage manager, like also it is a secret for them or are they in a different place? They were in a very different place. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where, of course, it was completely traumatizing for them and, you know, something that... I've obviously, as an adult, well, I was an adult then, but as a person who's reconciled all the things we go through to get to where we are, you know, that was a relationship that um, was real. And she was there when I found out my father died. Um, And we always have this really intense thing we shared, two intense things we shared. One was queerness and uh, the other was death Mm. and um, something that no one else uh, no, that's just always our memories of each other. Um, but it wasn't easy for her. And it's something that came out much later. And, uh, you know, when I think about, there was definitely a time where we sort of connected and said, I was very much like, look, I've, I know now how awful that was and how hard that must have been. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I, she's out there in the world living her best life, I hope. And, um, but yeah, that was definitely a huge part of my journey. Mm. I don't talk about it a lot, but it was a huge part of my journey. What specifically do you mean? Like starting and yeah, what was a huge part of your journey? I mean, the person, this person in particular, but also, uh, you know, someone creating a safe space to say, oh, you know, nothing. Um, let's try this. And it's okay that you know nothing. And Everything that you are or are not in this moment is totally fine. You know, and I think that's something that we (laughs) crave as human beings. I think whether it's creatively or sexually or with our identity or with partnership or family, constantly, um, we want that. Um, But she definitely created a safe space for that. And actually, when I think about it now, that was probably the beginning of what I think of now to be how queerness kind of helped rid my life and body of shame. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, you know, I'm I'm actually struck, though, as you're talking, you know, I think we we tend to, like, talk about coming out, you know, like, the more, like, the prototypical story is, like, the two people that are like sort of at the same place in their lives, at least for like 
um, queer women and people that are cultured female. Like I think I, I think in the gay male community, sometimes it's a little bit more. There's like a older guy, mm. younger guy mm-hmm. sort of a thing. That's yeah. something I've like heard about a little bit more. Um, but I think a lot of times when we like have the prototypical like lesbian story, it's like two people that are like, I'm your first, you're my first, we're discovering this together. That's right. actually, that is my story. Yeah. But then, you know, when we like center that as the only story, I think that, um, you know, one thing that is true is like, you're going to be having your first experience with a different type of person for the rest of the, your life that you're, if you're continuing to date or mm-hmm. be intimate with other people. Like if the, if the person that you hit it off with the first time isn't your forever partner and your only partner, then I don't know. I'm just like, I'm interested in you saying like somebody created a safe space for me to explore yeah. and be like, it's okay that you are where, where you are. And then we're in this time right now where um, like, you can be like, you could be like, pro-level lesbian and never been with a non-binary person or yeah. you could be uh have had a million experiences with women who have vaginas and never an experience with a woman who has penis or somebody who's a different size or somebody in your or you're in like a a, a, a cross-racial mm-hmm. relationship yeah. for the first time so it is also like what you just described <laughs> wasn't my first um experience but i've had other experiences that were like that you know Mm. like um because not every relationship i've been in has followed the same model you know like it's not like i just like have gone on to the next person who is exactly like the first person that i was with right and we don't really talk about that we don't talk about that a lot and and you know i think that's that is fascinating i mean one of the things that i found problematic when i sort of started, I, I call it emerging, emerging in, yes, in the queer emerging. world, um, is that I, I, the, want, everyone wants to define you right away. So whether it's, will you wear these kinds of pants? That means you must have sex like this, or you have this kind of hair on your head or on your arms or whatever. Well, that means that you are this kind of queer woman or lesbian or butch or dyke or, you know, uh, femme or this or this. And I find that to be actually really limiting. And I think something that we do and we place upon each other is sometimes we just, even, even we internally, the marginalized want to define and identify our our own to better understand them. And I think that's, that's something that is problematic because I think we are always learning. Um, You know, one of the things that I think really got me into making my own art and my own work, like the first short film I made was very much, it was a three minute short film. And it was a reconciliation of can I be gay and Muslim at the same time? Because up until that point, my experience of queerness was or gayness or lesbianness was very white. And so I thought, well, I have to sacrifice all of this to be gay. And so do I care about this identity the most of my brownness, my Muslimness, my growing up around Bollywood? Like, what is the thing? And that was the beginning then of a reconciliation of no, you just have to create your own identity and everyone's going to have opinions on everything else. And they're always going to, there's that noise will likely never go away, whether it's from queer people or from Muslim people or from brown people or from women, from feminists, from people who live in big cities or whatever. Everyone has an opinion on who you are and you have to transcend the noise to be who you are. Where did you grow up? I was born in London, Ontario, Canada, but I grew up in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Okay. And your dad was in Pakistan when he passed. Is that where he lived? No, he was visiting. Um, my mother was visiting there. Uh, we like Growing up, we would always go to Karachi, Pakistan. I feel like I've been there maybe 12 times at this point, but that's where most of our family was. So my mother was actually... It's just, I've, I've, I've developed so much compassion and uh, empathy, compassion and, and sympathy for my mother's journey as well. She was in Pakistan burying her mother who died in October of that year. And then my dad came to visit her and, um, and then uh, he passed away that night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so it was just such a, tragic time for her as a human saying goodbye to these literally like monumental humans in her life. And she, um, so then we all flew there 
and he's buried there, and then we flew back. Um, but that's why he was there. Was that the first time you had seen your family since starting to explore what was going on with you? In it terms was of your all sexuality? still very secret at the time. Yeah, like had you had you even seen? Because I I just no. admit because yeah. I I remember like the first time I saw my family when this thing was going on for me. Like yeah. I uh, don't have a great poker face, and I just was like, I didn't like they didn't we didn't talk about it then. It did not come come up but I just remember what that felt like which mm. was like uh I just felt like it was like keeping so much in I can't imagine if that had collided with what you're describing well I mean the, it was definitely like a lot of it was a big intersection mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. of, of stuff I mean and I I mean they talk I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of writing and you see this with like Asian families, immigrant families a lot where the patriarch dies and then suddenly there's a new pathway that opens up suddenly that maybe felt like impossible before. And so I do wonder if my dad didn't die at that moment, what my path would have been because I definitely was the person who, when we went there and, and, and buried him, you know, and the way death happens in countries like Pakistan is so different where like you, the person has to be buried almost immediately. You don't wait to, you don't embalm them, you know, and, and the, you know, the, that person is brought to the home and, you know, the Quran is read and then immediately within 24 hours where the body is still warm, like it's, it's, it's very, the, the body's placed into the ground. And so it's a very much like you are connected to, and, and the, the, the person who's passed in a very like, um, uh, you're, you're you're touching them in a very different way. You're much closer to it than the funeral person, the funeral director. Then they're going to be in a casket. That is not quite the experience. And then on top of that, the same gendered person also washes the body in Muslim tradition. So like my younger brother and um, my older brother was late getting there because he was in Hawaii at the time hiking. And so that's had- extremely f- far. Extremely <laughs> Just like, I understand the globe a little bit. That's far. It was far. We we took a minute for us all to get there. But my younger brother and my two uh, uncles, you literally wash the body at this place and you're, you're touching that person's body. He's wrapped, he or she is wrapped in a white cloth at the end. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really beautiful. I mean, actually, when you think of how death happens uh, in in other spaces or in other traditions, in, in Muslim tradition. But yeah, I remember being there and I was like, okay, I'm going to be the strong one. I'm going to be strong for my mom. I'm not going to cry that much. And then I came back to the U.S. and my mom still lives in Indiana. She was living in Indiana at the time. We're like, okay, we got to figure out finances, paperwork, Dad didn't, we call him Papa, we called him Papa. He didn't share everything with everyone. So we had to go, like, go through all the filing cabinets and figure everything else out. And we figured it all out. And then a month after that, I get back to Chicago and I was doing a play at the time. And Jonathan Barry, this director in Chicago, did not recast me because he's like, maybe she's going to need the play to come back to. And I did. Did the play and I would go out. That's when I was just like, go out afterwards to gay bars. And then that summer... I just couldn't hold it in anymore. And that's when I was just out. I would just go out. I didn't really connect anymore with family. And I was just going to lesbian parties, lesbian nights, um, you know, and, and, and just didn't care anymore about being the good daughter or about what anyone thought or what anyone, they were wondering where I was. And I just, I just did what I wanted to do. And so that was, it was about three months of, that <laughs> in the heart of Chicago. Sure. And, and I guess that was then the summer of 2007. And, uh, and then at the end, it kind of emerged. And I was like, hmm, let me find myself again. Who mm. am I now? And I feel like that's been the journey. Who am I now has been the journey even to now, you know, even to moving to LA and being a person in this weird, wacky existence, being an artist and a creator and a writer in, in, whatever Hollywood, like, you know, it's, that's the question. I think that is a never stopped being a question I asked myself. And as you're, as you're, I'm going to like make a, I'm just, this is get a, in there. This do is it. A, I'm, I'm supposing something. Go ahead. Suppose um, it out. All right. Like today mm. you're, how many folks do you have like connection with 
that are both queer and were raised Muslim? Um, Big I, community, small community. You know, what's it's, like the vibe there? I would say that you know when I started talking about being queer and Muslim, I knew nobody at all. Um, it was even weird that I was a you know, like sometimes the brown person or the Pakistani person, definitely the Muslim person, because it's like, that's not possible. Um, since then, especially I would say even in the last three, four years, I think overall more queer Muslim people are coming out um, publicly in that way. Um, but I, I feel like I have, you know, a uh, there's there's a lot of us. I mean, and and actually, like, there's actually a lot of us. I think in LA that I know of, in Chicago, um, in Pakistan, um, and I say those cities because those are the ones I know the most people. I guess sure, right? Um, but definitely in England, there's a huge. I mean, there's there's strong out Muslim queer communities in Toronto. I know a really strong community, um, and I think part of that is it you know, the, the, the national or international narratives, the content that's out there supporting and creating queer Muslim faces and spaces. Um, I think the internet and social media has mm. made people feel like they can connect to people all over the world. But I will say that I feel like we, like we've always been there, but we're just like, got colonized real hard for like 400 maybe years. Sure. <laughs> Everyone got colonized. And then it was like, no, go back, go back. And whether that was you know, brown traditions go back or Muslim traditions go back or queer traditions go back. Um, I think we're having that renaissance again now, another renaissance of queer identity that is embracing like the oldest traditions, which is wild because it's like, damn it, where were we 10 years ago, but also fucking beautiful. Wow. I There's like a couple things I want to break down here because- <laughs> Part of what I wanted to ask is literally what it's like in your life. Because yeah. I, I know that there's, I yeah, know that the, but I mean like that you um, know, and even like internet know, I count internet know. Yeah. But I just mean like how, how much do you feel like there are other people around you that you at least can be like, we have some shared intersectional experiences? I feel pretty good. Even being in LA less than a year. I mean, I was traveling back and forth here a bunch um, before, but you know, there's, there's actually a really great organization called Vigilant, Vigilant Love. And they're sort of what I think of as like, they have all the right politics, you know, they're mm. queer and they're Muslim and they're Brown and they're, you know, Asian and they're indigenous. And they, you know, um, uh, when they do a vigil, it's about having, you know, a, a, um, a land acknowledgement and doing it at the Japanese American cultural center space or outside the museum and um, a, a gay person will speak. And, you know, it's, it's about, it's that the kind of politics that I know I ascribe to that I feel like we ascribe to in, in our sort of highest selves. Um, but, but there, there's, there's a pretty strong community. I'm like so happy to yeah. hear that. I think, you know, I, I mean, I just remember uh, like being aware of, cause I think this is something like I've certainly heard you talk about, and I think maybe I thought potentially you were still in the same place, just in terms of like yeah. feeling uh, that like I'm the only one kind of vibe. So I'm so glad to hear that, yeah. that that's not your I mean, there's Tan experience. France, you know, Tan France and I. Out there. Right? Out like, there. <laughs> there's the two of us. I, I mean, I, I'm still probably to, I think, the average person I meet. I would feel pretty comfortable saying I'm the first Pakistani queer Muslim they've met. Um, I'm glad that's not your experience. Yes. That's what yes. is really important to me. <laughs> it's like that you're not the, yes. the, the yes. queer Pakistani Yeah, met. I'd be like, this is yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I just want to point out that um, my dog is shopping in this basket and pulling out toys and expecting that we're going to play with these toys, but... I mean, we're ignoring a, him, but it is extremely cute. The hat I'm considering wearing, it is covered in the dog's yeah, hair, but... I, he's... Murph, like, what the crap? Anyway. Uh, I would actually question, is that my hair or Murph's hair? <laughs> Except for the fact that it's not black. Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah. blondish. No, that's... um, uh, You know how sometimes your dog just really likes to play with a hat? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but it is true, and... I, I want to hear about that yeah. story later. <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. 
Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Now, the next thing I want to ask you a further question about is um, when you're talking about colonialism affecting like global understanding of queerness. Um, I just wanted to hear more about this if you had more to say about it, because yeah. it is certainly you're not the first person that has said this to me. Um, but I, I don't think that it's like risen through the ranks as something that we're talking about yet, like as a community, as like a the LGBT community. Yeah. And you know, it's fascinating because I think like we're often on a kick and, and I don't mean kick in like a, like where are we at, right? Our hierarchy of needs as different communities. And so I feel like with the Muslim community, the Muslim community is maybe just in some spaces starting to say in the, ma the mainstream spaces, I guess we should think about the margins here within our marginalized group. Um, I think um, queer communities do that too. And so there's definitely histories of our peoples with all of these different intersections that we don't always, we're not ready to think about uh, because we're like, we're just trying to get this past, or we're trying not to be, we just want marriage equality. We just don't want to die. We don't want to be terrorists, et right. cetera, et cetera. We want voting rights. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the, the things is definitely like, if we think of the, I think one of the oldest Real spiritual religious traditions is, for example, the Ramayana. And, and that's not a, a, a Muslim tradition, but the Ramayana is, you know, Hindu beliefs, South Asian beliefs. Um, and in the Ramayana, there's this story of this, you know, Sita and Ram, these, you know, they're real famous. They're celeb gods. Um, but there's this moment where, you know, the Rama uh, comes to the village and, and needs help. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I know someone will be like, you're not telling that story perfectly. And I, I totally hear that. Um, but basically Rama is back at this village and needs help. And the people who ended up helping are the people who were neither male nor female. So the folks who are trans or gender non-binary, um, that could even be, you know, and, and, and those people were then Rama said, I'm going to bestow these blessings upon you and kind of like superpowers. And and, um, you know, that tradition of, of like transness um, or third genderness is something that's so old in, in this very, in this script, in, in this scripture, I guess you can say, in these stories. So that's something I think about. I also think about, you know, and, and there's definitely mainstream Muslims who aren't down with the gays who will say, you can't look at this, but I also look at um, the Mughals, the Mughal Empire, very Muslim uh, empire. They built the Taj Mahal. Um, those guys were like harremed out. Like they had harems full of everybody. Like they were having sex and hooking up with, they were having orgies. They were ha ha hooking up with like you know, I guess what, what we refer to sometimes as like people, again, who are maybe neither male nor female, uh, gay men, um, the term eunuch was used back in that era a lot. They were hooking up with everyone and everyone was hooking up with everyone. Um, so, so those are some of the traditions. And, you know, there's a lot of these old like miniature paintings depicted of like trans people on horseback and they had all this money. And then the, the British come in and they look at all these brown people and they're like, you don't look like what our value system is and stripped away all of that money and all of that power and really pushed um, trans folks and, and, and folks who didn't fit into this, these tip, these, perfect boxes of 
male and female and push them out of power and strip them of all of their money and wealth. And so now, like many places around the world in South Asia, you have folks who are, you know, queer and trans just, you know, in the lowest castes and the lowest forms of society in the lowest places. Um, so we have a lot of work to do to build everybody else up. So build everyone back up again. Um, so, so that is kind of the main touch points I think of when I think of our history of queerness. And we, we don't even really like gay is like, we may not use those terms, but we didn't have to because it was just part of our culture. Um, and even that phrase coming out, I think, I think I, I, I said, you know, quote unquote coming out earlier because something that I didn't have the language for when I was coming out in whatever, 2006, 2007 was like, why is this so hard for me? Cause no one was really talking about the intersections and intersectionality and marginalized of the marginalized back then, at least not in mainstream spaces. It, it, it was like, well, okay, so I'm Pakistani Muslim. I'm Brown. I'm a woman. I've lived mostly in small towns. Also an immigrant, an like immigrant. I just, but also from yes. Canada, which yeah. is maybe what people are not going to assume. So then you're, <laughs> still, yeah. so then you're like having to explain that. <laughs> yeah. Like, but also I do know people in Karachi. Like there's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of work that you color with a U. There's a lot of work you have to do. You're doing yeah. a lot of work. There's a lot of, do. a lot of work. Thank you for that. Um, but yeah. And, and, um, you know, it's just like, well, I'm not allowed to, um, eat pork. I don't uh, drink. I'm not allowed to drink. I'm not allowed to date boys or go to prom. I'm not allowed to talk to boys on the phone or hang out with boys or hang out at boy girl parties. Like there's so many things I'm not allowed to do, but a lot of them I secretly did. So I'm just like, how am I supposed to come out about having sex with women when I'm not even allowed to like talk to a dude on the phone? <laughs> you know, I feel like I need to come out about that first. I mean, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to just betray some ignorance on my own behalf. I didn't know that was a thing. I mean, it's obviously very cultural and very familial, but yeah, I mean, none of those things were things I was allowed to do. In your household, you were not allowed to talk to dudes on the phone. No. Um, you were not allowed to date, go to prom, et cetera. What was that like, your experience of like high school, like being a teen with those rules? I'm I'm just going to like, did other people that you knew have, the, have those rules? Well, I grew up both in Canada and when my family moved when I was like 17 to uh, Indiana, mm -hmm. very sexy. Uh, and I was really the only non-white kid uh, in, in Nova Scotia. I was definitely the only non-white non-Christian kid, the dark house on the block during Christmas time. In Indiana, there was one, maybe two other people of color in my school that I, rem you know, at this point I'm like, that I remember. But but there really wasn't anybody else. There were no other Muslims in my town. We would drive 45 minutes to the bigger town, Fort Wayne, Indiana, to find the brown people. I mean, this was at a time- Fort Wayne is the bigger town. Fort Wayne is the bigger town. First of all, big, I have been to Fort Wayne many times because yeah. I love doing stand-up there. It's oh, like I a bet. very fun and appreciative audience. Oh, yeah. With really cool queer folks, but also- <laughs> Fort Wayne is the bigger town. It is the much bigger town. Okay, Fort Wayne is pretty small. Yes. So that's, thank you for that context. I mean, was, this was Wabash, Indiana, which was like 30,000 people, I feel like. Sure. And it was just not, I mean, when my parents, when we moved or when my parents were thinking about moving, there was still the phone book. And so the way that, you know, immigrant folks would find each other was you'd open the phone book and you'd look for a last name that sounded like yours. So either, oh God, either right, like either Muslim or South Asian or, you know, whatever you were. And uh, then you randomly call them? Yes. And they're like, hey, come over for dinner. Got it. Which is exactly <laughs> what happened. And so there was Wabash, Indiana, Huntington, Indiana, the next over small town on the way to Fort Wayne, and then Fort Wayne. So we had our first friends. Um, <laughs> More friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think Murph was celebrating. Yes, he was. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Oh, so sweet. We never record here, and he is clearly <laughs> over the moon about it. But I do have to take this squeaky bat. I'm so oh, sorry. But like, baseball, baseball season is upon us. Grass so, is being cut. Yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, only the best. Yeah. Only the best. I can tell. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, we, we found people, uh, we were phone book friends. You were saying that was your first friends? Those were our first brown friends or phone book friends. Uh, and, and it was, became some of my family's closest friends to this day. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was weird. I mean, look, I grew when in Nova Scotia and I talk, I tell this story a lot. It's when I was in the, what was it? Grade six, there was me, who the Muslim girl, and then there was another girl, the Jehovah Witness girl. We they would have Bible study once a week, so we pulled our desks out and read. I don't know, even remember what I read anymore, like mystery books or something, while everyone else read the Bible. And so in Indiana, we moved to the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was actually a couple things. One, it was the first time place I knew my parents had an accent, because suddenly people were like kind of doing accents to me, um, even my friends, some friends' parents, and doing impressions of my mother or my father. And I was like, why are they doing that? Is that what they sound like? Because I just hadn't heard it from that ear before. Um, But it was, yeah, nobody understood what a Muslim really was. Uh, it was in Indiana when 9-11 happened. And so that was, I mean, people didn't even know Pakistan at the time. So it was more like, where are you from? Pakistan. What's that? It's next to India. Okay. And then 9-11 happened. And then it was like, where are you from? Pakistan. Oh, like that was. I had to have a big exhalation on that. I, yeah. That's. I felt it. Yes. Well, I well, I felt it. I think is actually what happened. <laughs> I felt it. <laughs> I mean, we were, yeah, it was, I mean, yeah. I mean, that was such a fucked up, uh, uh, I was in, I was in a predominantly white space at that time. I was like at a college that, that had some, like some folk, like some folks of color. Mm -hmm. Um, Remind me where you went to school. I went to Boston College. That's right. I was going to say, yeah. Like some folks of color who all had like seemingly to participate in like, like there was a lot of like, cause like acapella groups were a big thing there, oh, yeah. and, there and like dance troops and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there, it seemed like uh, if you were a person of color, it was, there was a huge expectation that you were going to participate like in your, the thing that was like for the people, people that were, was your, that yeah. were your race. And yeah. by the way, like, I'm sure that was actually also super helpful because you're a minority, um, but it was also just like an interesting part of campus. It's like yeah. uh, just an interesting part of it. And it did feel like there was an expectation that like the students of color were. It's like if you were a black student, you were literally supposed to be in like Voices of Imani was what, was what it was called. Oh you're supposed God. to sing in Voices of Imani. Oh you're supposed to be, you're, you're called an Ahana student. That was like an acronym for like, I think it honestly was like Asian Hispanic, which was the word that was used at the time, uh-huh. like not let, right. Linux. Uh, Asian Hispanic, like African-American, Native American, like all of like that. There's an group. acronym for wow. all people of color. Wow. And there, the, yeah. there would be like a boat cruise, like the Ahana boat cruise. And, you know, um, I mean, it sort of sounds like it's gonna be really fun. Yeah, and maybe it was. You know? I think, by the way, like <laughs> I would go to you know all those uh, events and stuff because the stuff that I participated in was on the social justice spectrum. So there was some overlap sure, with like the same type of yeah student would be involved in um, those things. But but I like ran into a. I didn't know this. There was a comic who I didn't know mm. went to BC and we were like the same year. Mm. And we just randomly were talking one time at, actually not randomly at all. I told a story about my college and she came up to me after the show and was like, did you go to BC? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so I, and then she was like, like, it was a nightmare. I'm like, I was there. I'm a black person. I was like, it was a nightmare. I was there. I'm a gay person. And like, we just like, uh, high-fived each other back and forth forever. But, um, Anyway, that's where I was when 9-11 happened. And I remember like a Sikh student mm. being pulled into like talk to the administration because he wore a turban. It's like that's not Just that's not harassed. the right that's not the that's literally not the same 
faith, like you've, you, like you've really not nailed it. Right. What you seem to understand is that there's something on this person's head, but like everything else you seem to have missed. Yeah. Um, also, there's like a lot, you know. Also, so, like, why are you targeting? Like, yeah. Yeah, like being yeah. called in to talk to the administration. You know, yeah. like that was like the vibe. So I, anyway, that. What was this experience like for you? <laughs> um, I mean, it was, I was already in Chicago at this point, mm. but it was, I think I was more conscious of, um, I mean, we're all impacted, right? I mean, even, you know, the terrorist attack in New Zealand um, that happened recently. I mean, regardless of whether I go to the mosque regularly or not, or am ritualistic in prayers or not, that felt like it was, it impacted me. It felt like it impacted my family. It felt like it impacted my tribe. It felt like it could have been my mother or my siblings or my best friends that could have been in that space. And so it's that same kind of thing where, oh God, we wanted people to know us, but not like this. And, um, I felt scared for my mom more than myself because, you know, and I, t I talk about this now, like people look at me and, you know, we talk about the queerness, but I'm also, you know, overall like a very, you know, I move with love. I move with kindness, with joy and laughter. I mean, that sounds like a really bad greeting card, but that's kind of the way I move forward in space. And I'm, I, you know, at one time, maybe the term would be ethnically ambiguous. So it's like brownish. Some people might know what my ethnicity is, but a lot of folks are just sort of going to place whatever they feel safe and good about upon me. And so I pass for what they think I am. And so Muslim and Pakistani is not, are not the two number one things. And therefore I kind of move pretty fluidly through a lot of different kinds oh, of spaces. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And so I feel more fear for like my mother who wears a hijab, wears Pakistani clothes, a shalvar kameez, and bops around small town Indiana. I would right. like walk around with her and be like the bodyguard, which my size is like I'm not strong. I have zero yeah, muscles I mean, and I'm small. Like, like intellectually, you might be a good bodyguard. Like physically, physically not so much. I will be like the yeah. Murph, your Murph and your Murph yeah. might be a better bodyguard than me. <laughs> and um but I was really terrified for her. Um but yeah, I mean, it changed everyone's lives. I mean, and then, you know, you think about media, it's like, oh, you know, because at that point it's like, well, what kind of role models did we have on television or in movies? Like maybe there was like Apu, then maybe there was a little bit of Mindy killing at that point. Like just, um, just, just earning her spot just get, on the office, yeah. like just earning it. Yeah, you know? and like she couldn't really talk right about in being there. brown. Yeah, exactly. You know, she was the, the woman at an office. Right. Um, Cal Penn would have been somebody people Harold and Kumar thought of, yeah, yeah, and but really it was, and then nine eleven happens, and then suddenly we're like, oh, we're everywhere! Wow, we're all the terrorists, <sighs> and yeah. um, yeah, it it it, it for, I think for almost any Muslim person who was sort of conscious and as an adult person knows that that was a changing point. That was a deeply pivotal moment. Um, I like to think right now we're in a, a, that again a next iteration of oh, I guess we should put Muslims on screen or I guess we should represent Muslims in a very different way. Um, you know, when I say this, I think, you know, looking at outwardly what culture is doing and, you know, also the impact on the person who grew up brown or Muslim around a lot of white Christian folks is I didn't embrace my brownness or my Muslimness for years. And it took college. I went to IU in Bloomington, Indiana. I stayed in good old Indiana. Red. That's where mom felt safe with me. That was like too far. You know, she was like, that's too far. And I was like, oh, okay. Bloomington's kind of cool. Yeah, Bloomington was very cool. Yeah. And actually that's where I found Asian community and South Asian community and um, Muslim community. Um, no queer community yet that I knew of. Oh, uh, now it is like very. Have you been to? Well, it was really have you gay. Been to, I what just is it called? The back door. Oh God, uh, there's I a great gay bar the back in Bloomington. Well, there was always this one bar that was called something, the Blue Blue something, and it closed down after many years. Uh -huh. But it was the bar where people went 
who were not like the others. Sure. It was that kind of bar. <laughs> so you, you could be brown or gay or a skater or punk sure. or liked different music than top 40. And that is that was the place that was safe for you. Yeah. God, I'm, I'm so terrible that I can't. It was blue. Anyway, I have a terrible memory also. I think actually, by the way, uh, so far in this 48 minutes up till now, you have not proven that to be true. Oh my I think gosh. your memory Woo! seems to be uh, pretty attuned. I'm going to write that down so I don't forget that you said that. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't even think about how, um, like, moving to L.A., I also, because you were saying, like, that maybe you have some ambiguity, and I bet moving to L.A., there's, like, a, there's a different brown community that then mm. you could like potentially be a part of or whatever. So you're just walking down the street being like, that's a lot. It's a <laughs> lot that you like, you know what I mean? Just because yeah. there, there, there are so many um, Mexicans or Mexican-Americans oh, here. Oh, sure. That like anybody who has brown skin maybe would be assumed to be. Of course. I mean, from Mexico. I, yeah. And you're like, actually, straight up, just to like fully clarify, I am from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what, what a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> it's the other white yeah. meat, you know? Uh, but no, I, I mean, that's been my experience my whole life is people come up to me and speak in Spanish. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I wish I did. And it's still on my list. And I don't understand why I need a tutor. If there's a great tutor, um, I need to learn Spanish. But, but I, I get that. And, and, Oftentimes, and actually even coming up, coming up in the queer community, coming out in the queer community in Chicago, it was, being South Asian was definitely one of the last guesses. It's become more prevalent now that people might guess, um, but it wasn't for a long time. And I, and again, I present, I, you know, the same way I've gone, we go through iterations of like, what we wear, I think I've gone through iterations of how I present or both in my dress, but also in terms of my own self-confidence and, sure. and self-love. And I think that emanates pretty strongly in all of us. Yeah. I think I'm just, I'm like just struck by that because <clears throat> um, you are describing a situation where you have like a pretty strong connection to Pakistan, like, like going mm -hmm. there 12 times to yeah. Karachi, like that's a, you know, that's a strong connection yeah. to be like carrying around that people are not necessarily reading is just like a, it's an interesting space to be in, um, where like, I mean, like, you know, whatever, as a bunch of generations ago, my family was from Italy and I have been there twice. So like, that's, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like that's people don't necessarily, uh, that's not what they that, think of. But but who cares is what I'm saying. It's not, <laughs> I didn't like it's, you know right. what I mean? It's tangential yeah. uh, a little bit more. Um, so, well, I, if if I were a person, a, a, a lot of times when I, I well, it's it doesn't even work now. But I was going to say that I want to say something like, oh, well, I love Italian food. And I would only say that because that's the kind of thing that oftentimes you hear when you're like, oh, what are you? Oh, I'm uh, I'm Canadian. Oh, what are you? I'm from Chicago. Oh, what, what's your what's your back? And then eventually yeah. you get to, oh, I'm Indian or Pakistani. Oh, I love Indian food. And it's like, that has nothing to do with what I just said. <laughs> you know, it's like, but that's this sort of weird connection point that we're kind of still at, you know, it's, 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 it's fascinating. And cause we do live in bubbles. Uh, we, we still live in these bubbles. I think even living in a city is a big bubble yeah. of experience and intersections. And I think even our most liberal folks sometimes don't always, you know, I think have an understanding of like, oh, well that, um, Oh, I guess I shouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, that's great. You like my food. Um, yeah, you might be more than food. I, there's I a hope. chance. I, there's, you know? a, there's a slim chance, but there's a chance. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I love curry. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, that's very, that's very real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what? We know we have work to do, you know, but um, Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been, it's, it's just, things are constantly shifting. Let's see. Where do I want to go? Because we have just a few minutes left and I feel like we got so many, got so much covered in it. Well, maybe I want to ask this question. Like, 
we heard a little bit about, you know, you first being with someone, but then like, what was it like dating after that? Cause you mm. know, we talk a lot about, oftentimes we talk a lot about our first relationships and, um, those have this indelible mark in our story, but, but as you continued to date people, as you continue to like, you know, see people now, what, what is it like having this sort of like first experience at 29 and then going and, and then knowing, you know, not even allowed to be on the phone, uh, in like a romantic way or mm -hmm. like, how are you making your way through that? Well, I, well, and I also want to say that I did have an experience before that, uh, one when I was young, not that I have to tell you my whole history, but, but I, I also hear, it. Sure. I do, I do talk. I mean, it's, it's not like I haven't I told the stories before, but, uh, I did have like a first kind of connection, tiny connection with a woman when I was like very young that I didn't really understand until much later. Um, so it was like, 10 years old or 12 years old or something like that with like a, a friend who was like, well, let's do the thing we saw on TV. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but then uh, had another experience, but it was still very much just like, is this friendship? Is this love? What is this thing? Um, I feel like that's a not uncommon narrative, but still it felt not gay to me. It just felt this best friend kind of thing. Um, when did it feel gay? At 29. <laughs> I know. It's weird because I was like, gay, what's gay? I mean, it, and it sounds so, it sounds fascinating to me to say that, even to me to say that now, knowing kind of, I feel like I got this course in, you know, queer theory just by being queer and claiming all the identities. Um, like there's a person who's like, there was a person who's like, listen, this is the kind of music you got to listen to now. And I was like, oh my God, I had no idea. <laughs> you know, Queen Latifah. Okay. You know, oh, it was Queen Latifah. <laughs> I mean, there because by the way, Indigo Girls, <laughs> I, by the way, Darlene, like, that's actually a cool Latifah. person. Like, yeah. like somebody who just goes straight to. Yeah. The I, queen. I agree. Like, that's, that's like that's, your not obvious yeah. reference uh, point. Like, you know, yeah. Birkenstock stereotype choice. That's true. So I feel actually pretty good about that. I, you know, what? I was up to Queen Latifah. <laughs> and by the way, I love the Birkenstock choices also. I'm just saying, like, yeah. what a Dar Williams, Queen yeah. Latifah. Yes. yes. It was the range, all the intersections <laughs> of music. Very, yeah. yes. I mean, you do have to watch Set It Off. That's important. I know. That was something I learned uh, along. And Go Fish was something I was told I had to watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very real. good, actually. That's a very good movie. Yeah. I mean, it really... And it was very Chicago and... Yes. Um, but um, I, I really feel as though, you know, the first girlfriend I had was very much a way of saying, okay, you know having sex with a woman, if you're going to do that with the lights on during the day, um, you're going to have to get over some of the shame of being a person, a woman in particular with a body, being raised with religious shame. You know, I think Muslim shame is very similar to Catholic guilt and shame. And, you know, you're supposed to be a virgin and you're supposed to save all of these things for this one perfect man. And if you're going to be queer in any way, um, all of that shit is not happening. And so to truly be queer and have self-love, like that was the, you know, the next step in you're, you're going to maybe have sex with these objects involved and harness things. And wow, this is, mom said nothing about heteronormative sex to me or periods. No one told me about this. And so it was such a kind of crash course uh, in sex even and having a body. And so I really do believe that. And then each, I think, woman that I was with thereafter, and I feel like I've loved these really and continue to love these incredible women who were not just girlfriends. They were women who um, really helped break down um, huge walls within me, you know? And I continue to think of them as like teachers. And I don't mean that in a, you taught me how to do this move, but you, they all helped teach me how to love myself and uh, helped me see how I could love myself. And even if it's, oh, right, I can have a hairy body, like being a brown Pakistani woman, like hair is like Italians, you know? I mean, there's a thing there. There's a shared uh, truth. And that was seen as such 
a non-sexy, non-feminine, non-beautiful thing. Um, All of the things that we talk about, odor and hair and curves and hips and um, not being perfect in the mornings or any time of night or saying, I don't want to do that and it's okay. All of that was something that I learned after 29 and something that I learned was okay for me to be and have and love about myself and that, and being weird. I think that was one of the uh, next kind of <sighs> leveling ups, you know, if we were playing Miss Pac-Man, which I know is a really dated reference, but like, like, you know, being okay, being weird to me was like the banana level. Like that was when it was just like, yeah, like I don't, I can just be weird with this person <sighs> and not like fake these things and put on these faces. And if they don't love me, it's okay. Or if they don't like me, it's okay. Cause my weirdness is beautiful. And, um, I'm just going to, talk however I need to right now because that's what feels safe and comfortable to me. And they're not into it. Okay, well, I guess we're not going to move in that direction together romantically or maybe friendshiply. Um, wow. I'm so glad I asked that question because <laughs> that was such a good answer. And, and I can really I can really relate to that. I mean, I, I have no idea what it is like for straight folks because oh I God. think like we're not really getting in culture an accurate portrayal of what that is like and I'm I, I have like I really don't feel like I have like the access point in yeah. but for me um in terms of just talking about something like accepting your body and then hopefully loving your body um it I had a very similar experience mm. in terms of like that was never when I when I dated men first and that was just not part of it for me like there was no part of me that felt like um validated mm-hmm. personally. I felt externally validated. Like I felt like I felt like people could place me because I'd be like, this is my boyfriend. So if that, if you need to factor that in to understand me, this is a boyfriend right. I have. Um, but it didn't, it wasn't something that ever felt like I internalized it. Like it actually made me feel really bad about myself because I yeah. couldn't understand what they liked about me because I like wasn't really into them. And I thought they were having the same experience. Like, oh, mm-hmm. we don't really... We're not really into this, yeah. but we're like doing this or whatever. And then when I was with women, um, I had a really radical shift in understanding like what I was into about their bodies. And then I and then I was like, oh, like this is what this person <laughs> right. is experiencing. And again, like maybe this is something that straight folks are getting out of relationships. I don't hear about this too much, but it is something that like because we don't hear about it, I didn't know I didn't have like yeah like in my first relationships I didn't have that well and I I don't yeah. I mean I I I I agree with you completely that I think it is a struggle like I think about straight folks and and I'm not you know who knows could I be with a man again sure maybe if it was the right person I do believe in connection but at the same time that thing of just being uh, beautiful weirdos together would have to be the thing. And I feel like I found that mostly only exclusively at this point with women. And, and I think I, that means you're like, you know, in the right place. Like, I, be, I, like, I guess <laughs> right, what I'm saying is right. I think that might be what, like we, you know, we don't, we don't have like these like decided ways of like, like, but how do you know? And it's yeah. not like, it's not like, that I find no men attractive. It's right. that like what you're talking about, I have not had with men. And like you're saying, that doesn't mean that I think there is no man that I can have that with, but exactly. I don't, but I haven't had that. So maybe that's true. Like mm-hmm. it's hard, you know, it's, there's no finite, there's no need to be finite about it, but yeah. it's like, well, that's it. It's the like, I mean, whatever there's the that fluidity thing is. of it. And I think that, I mean, with men, there's also this, I, or I realized that there was such a performative element to it. Mm. And I remember being with one of my girlfriends who was, who literally said to me, do you actually like this? Because I'm not sure. Or <laughs> this thing you're doing. And, and it was, you know, I mean, we all have ego, but also it's fear and shame because we just want to be loved and liked and feel beautiful and sexy. Like oftentimes I feel like so much is like, I got, I just want to feel beautiful and be the thing that you want me to be that you think is beautiful. And I think all of that comes from this deeply like misogynist space where men 
want porn, the pornography, pornographic version of what a woman is. And we are trying to perform the pornographic version of what a woman is for men. And that I think took a long time to deconstruct and say, oh, wait, I don't like that. So I don't have to moan as if I do. And that was life changing. Cause then it was just like, mm, you'd, and, and now I, it's, you know, there'll be those moments where it's like, literally in the, an eye shift. And it's like, where'd you go? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not feeling this right now. And it's like, wow, like that is so fucking beautiful. And so why would, does anyone want to go from that being seen to performative again? Unless of course, you know, that's something you're into and you want that and you crave that for fantasy or whatever. I respect that. But if it's unhealthy, which I know for me and I think for a lot of folks, it has been, it hurts us. Why do that? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, it's like, I I believe that there are people who are straight who are having a positive experience. Yes. Oh, yes, there, there totally I are. I believe in straight people. <laughs> and I too. just don't think I'm one of them. Yeah, agreed. Um, agreed. Before I send you <laughs> off into the day, uh, <laughs> I want to ask you to shout out a queero, um, and that is like could be a person or place that made you feel like you could be who you are today. Um, just one person. Do you have how many do you have? You can you can. It's yours. <laughs> well, it's yours. I feel um, the the first name that came to mind was a woman named uh, Aruj Arshad, uh, who is a I, I we're probably not dissimilar in age, uh, but she is an elder of the queer Muslim community and she's also Pakistani. But I remember when I found her and I've been recommending her as like an elder of our community because she was sort of out and doing the work, um, both social justice work and the work of just being politicized by virtue of claiming your identity for a lot longer than... um, I think most folks in the West, like, you know, claiming her identity publicly. And so she's someone that I remember when I found her, I was like, wow, you exist and you're totally cool. And you like all the things that I was growing up liking and you're gay Mm -hmm. and you seem cool about it (sighs) and you seem healthy and like we laugh, we can laugh. Uh, great. Um, and so she's someone I would I want to shout out to. And uh, another person is Kareem Kubchandani, a guy from Chicago, who I remember meeting him and he was doing like gender performance, queer art studies at Northwestern. And we met and I was like, oh my gosh, we are brown gay siblings. And he's someone I continue to just look at. And, and now he does like drag and it teaches at, in, at Tufts University. Um, but he was someone who was a really powerful touchstone for me and was part of making my first short film and helped me, um, see that you can do, do Brown and Bollywood and gay at the same time. Um, and it's really beautiful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. I really had no idea what we were going to talk about. And this is really, uh, I mean, what else does one want to talk about? during the day (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah yeah